Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, I'm delighted to be here and sharing with you this morning. We're continuing our series through Paul's prison epistle, written from jail, written in chains to the church in Philippi. And the question or the theme for us this morning is this, what are you living for? What are you living for? The remarkable Freddie Mercury, dying tragically of AIDS, dragged himself from his sickbed to record his final song, a song many of you will know, The Show Must Go On. It was released six weeks after he died, and the first airing of it while live was at his memorial. And it asks a profound question, what are we living for? What are you living for? The lyrics in one of the verses go like this, empty spaces, what are we living for? Abandoned places, I guess we know the score on and on. Does anybody know what we're looking for? Does anybody know what we're living for? Another hero, another mindless crime behind the curtain in the pantomime. Hold the line. Does anybody want to take it anymore? The show must go on. Freddie was living for the show the definitive showman. But what are you living for? Philosophers, psychologists, business analysts all posit this question, understanding that without purpose and without direction and without focus, our life just drifts and we can lose meaning. I read this week a chap called, unusual name, Zig Ziglar. What a great name that is, Zig Ziglar. He's a motivational speaker. And he said that without knowing what we're living for, we are just a wandering generality. A wandering generality. Having focus, having purpose can cause us, of course, to achieve some great things, that sense of dedication to our art or our sport or our vocation. It pays dividends. I was thinking this week about the greatest footballer of all time, in all times in my view, that certainly the most disciplined, Ronaldo. And he said, without football, my life is worth nothing. Worth nothing. He lived for football, and what a player he has been. The great composer Mozart said, music is my life, and my life is music. And he enriched the world by that focus and purpose. The beautiful Japanese Zen artist Daisetsu Suzuki said, my work of art is my life. I encourage you to look him up later. But the challenge or the question before us from Scripture this morning is, what are you living for? For work, for your family, for your future, for your holidays once this pandemic's over. I recall reading a student some years ago writing in a university rag here, and he wrote this, I had thought about going into politics and making a difference in the world. He said, but I decided to go into the city because it was the only way to make serious money and retire early. 
Nothing wrong in going into the city and making serious money if you're going to benefit other people's lives from that. But he was living for himself. I wonder how that's working out for him. Mindfulness tells us that we're to live in the moment. Too many people in our world are struggling to live one day at a time, living hand to mouth, living to make ends meet. There are, of course, some noble altruists who live their life for others, outgiving, serving, sacrificing, selfless. We've seen some beautiful demonstrations of that in this pandemic, particularly with our wonderful frontline carers. But the fact is, many live for themselves. Who are you living for? Steve McQueen, great actor, said, I live for myself and I answer to nobody. He died at 38 and he answered to God. In a boxing magazine that I, article that I read, the question it was addressing was this, what are we living for? And the author concluded, you are to live for yourself. Living for yourself for your name, for your growth, for your happiness. The purpose of this life is you. And there are those in the world that would have us believe that. But we as Christians follow the one who lived for the other. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, God for us. God with us, but God for us. And in life and in death, he lived and died for you. St. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And what an example and what an inspiration, but what a challenge for us this morning. I've been challenged this week as I've been reflecting on this. What am I living for? Yesterday I was talking to a very cool barista. I thank God for our government that allowed coffee shops to be open to go and get a cookie and a decent coffee. And this very cool barista, I've been talking to him once a week for the last month or two. He said this, uh, he said, what have you got planned for, to, for the weekend? I thought, well, you can't really plan much, can you, in a kind of global pandemic? I said, mate, tomorrow... It's Sunday, and I'm a vicar, and I'm going to church. He said, oh. <laughs> he said, my granny is a Christian. He said, I tried it, but thought I was too young for all the rules. He wanted to live for himself for a bit. Maybe he thought it was just for old men with gray beards and old grannies. At least he was honest. At least he was honest. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. He said, but the one thing I can't stand is lukewarm. What are you living for? The Christian life says that our purpose in life is not living for ourselves, but that life comes by living for Jesus Christ. And when we live for him, we will find we're also living for those that he loves. We're living for others. 
that life is actually found not in ourselves but outside of ourselves and that by losing our life in love with Jesus we find it and there we find life that's the first thing the question what are you living for can I encourage you this week to chew on that reflect on that think on that what actually are you living for? What have you been living for in your life? What is your purpose? What is your focus? What is your goal? What is your drive? What gets you up in the morning? What's it all about? And, dear God, as we come out of pandemic, what are you going to live for from now on? And then we come to dear Apostle Paul. It says in verse 21 of our reading, chapter 1 of Philippians, for me, he says, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He was all about Jesus. Now, that little phrase, beautiful little phrase, in the Greek uh, is actually more beautiful than, than in translation. And it has this sort of lovely sense of uh, poetry. There is alliteration and assonance and rhythm and rhyme and structure in that whole few verses. Here's a bit of Greek, to zain Christos, to apothanein kurdos. How about that? It's poetry. And poetry here is appropriate. Poetry here is fitting. This is not the language of duty and drudgery and pressure and oughtness. He's celebrating it. He's reveling in it. He can't get over the wonder of it. For him to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a celebration. This is, the, this is poetry. And poetry is fitting because it's the language of lovers. It's lovers talk and whispers in the ear. For me to live is Christ. One of the most wonderful things in my life is to be able to say, I am married to Tiffany Ponsonby. What a beautiful thing. What a blessed man I am. And this has that sense for me to live is Christ. You're overwhelmed by it. Paul actually, several years before, wrote similarly to the Romans and to the church in Corinth. And he made a similar point then. But there he was sort of inclusive and it was a sort of generalized principle. He says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. This phrase pops up, but here, at the end of his life, in the Philippian jail, some uh, some scholars think he actually got out of uh, the Philippian uh, out of jail um, and visited the Philippians, and a couple of years later was back in jail in Rome. But actually, uh, my view is that here he is in Rome, in jail, in chains, and he never got free. Well, he got really free because he was beheaded and went to be with the Lord. But now, having written in the past in that general, inclusive, principled form. He's applying it to himself personally. In the past, he'd used these words in the subjunctive, if we live, if we die. Now he's in this subjective, for me, to live, literally living 
an infinitive. Living is Christ and dying is gain. It's personal. It's autobiographical. Moves from a subjunctive to a subjective. A bit of grammar here this morning. A Christian is someone who lives for Christ. It's not someone who simply states a creed. It's someone who has an experience of the reality behind the propositions that they state. That they have a living, personal, vibrant relationship. And that their life is intertwined and lived for and lived with Jesus. That's what we're talking about. And Paul exemplifies it here. You know, ever since Paul, when he was Saul, he changed his name after he met Jesus. Ever since he was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, when he met the risen Lord Jesus and the Lord turned his life around, 30 years before, Paul has been all in and all out for Jesus. Never wavered. He never got over the wonder of it. And Jesus is the grammar of his existence. The of, to, for, by, with, from. It's all about Jesus. Jesus before and behind. Jesus is the presupposition. Jesus is the raison d'etre. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. For him, it's all about Jesus. Why? Because he's met him. He's really understood who this Jesus is and why it's worth giving and living everything for him. There's such a singularity of focus and of purpose with Paul. For me to live is Christ. And everything else is secondary. Paul doesn't seem to worry about food or lodgings or reputation or book sales or YouTube views or Instagram likes or chums on Facebook or holidays, even retirement plans, exercise regime, cholesterol levels, or blood pressure. I'm talking autobiographically there. It's all focus, and it's all about Jesus, and all that mattered was him, and inviting people to know Jesus as he did. How did Paul get to that place where it was all about him? Well, he met Christ. But that relationship with Christ was tested. It was tried. It was proved to see if it was true. Oswald Chambers, many of you would have heard of him, wrote a famous set of meditations on these very verses. And they were later published as a book, some of you will have read it, called My Utmost for His Highest. And Chambers says this, Jesus brings us to the place where he asks us to be our utmost for him. And he says, we then begin to debate, but then the Lord provides providentially a crisis and we're, we're, we're forced to decide, will we live all for him or not? This Crisis presents us with this decisive decision. Who are we going to live for? And over and over again, Saul, who became Paul, was confronted with this crisis. And he chose to live for Christ. I wonder if there are some of you watching this today. And you're facing a real test, a real trial, a real temptation. You're confronted with this crisis. Who am I going to live for? And how am I going to live? I want to encourage you. Be like Paul, who lived all in and all for and all out for Jesus.
Paul took and passed the test repeatedly. He faced crisis after crisis, time and time again, but he never threw in the towel. In persecutions, in imprisonments, in slander and accusation, in beatings, in the temptation to revel in his great achievements. No, he offered it all to Jesus and he'd take it all again and more for him. Who are you living for and how are you living? And then lastly, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Many ancient Greek proverbs express a similar thing to that last clause, similar sense that somehow death is a a, a liberty from the strain and bondage and pressure of existence. Not that it's death to go and be with the gods per se, it's just freedom from the shackles of our body and the strain of life. That's not Paul's sense here at all. He's not being stoic and he's certainly not being melodramatic. He simply has confidence. He has assurance that while he lives, he's living for Jesus. He's telling people about Jesus. He's following Jesus and he's enjoying Jesus. But when he dies, he's going to be with him. He's going to be with him forever in that beautiful place, serving his Lord face to face. This is Paul's reality. This is the truth that he lives and breathes This is the person he lives and breathes for. And he knows that this Jesus who he's lived for is worth dying for. And having lived for him, when he dies, he's going to live forever with him. And he knows that he can entrust himself to this Jesus and that this Jesus will carry him through the valley of the shadow of death. He's been there before him and he's going to meet him and walk him through and be there for him forever at the other end. For him to live is Christ and to die is gain. Nothing to lose for the Christian who dies in the faith. To die is gain. What does gain mean? Well, it's actually a word from um, an ancient word from an economic environment um, and context, but it's profit. I'm in. He's not saying when I die, I'm, 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 I'm inheriting all sorts of things. He's simply celebrating and reveling. What a thing. If you live with Christ, when you die, you live for him forever. And what a life that will be. No more tears, no more pain, no more fears. We'll be home. 30 years before, Paul, when he was Saul, helped supervise and approve the stoning of the first martyr And he saw and he heard how Stephen died. He was there. And Stephen said, look, I see heaven opened. And I see God seated on his throne and Jesus standing at his right hand. Jesus not sitting, standing, ready to greet Stephen. Paul never forgot that. Paul knew the reality of it. And here as perhaps he's coming to the end of his life, he knows that God is reigning on the throne, that Jesus is stood beside him ready to greet him, and he can't wait. You know, in the catacombs 
in Rome where the Christians were held uh, and uh, often uh, where they were taken from there to be sport uh, in the Colosseum and fed to the lions. In many places, engraved in the wall are the words Vita, Vita, Vita. Sounds like a health regime or a, or a cr cracker or something. Vita, Vita, Vita means life, life, life. We're the life people. And even though they're facing death, they know life is coming to them. A friend of mine's been very ill with COVID. He's a remarkable man. He had been a fighter pilot in the Navy, American, top gun pilot. And uh, then he became a surgeon, top surgeon, top professor, and had all the things that this world can afford. He's been in intensive care for 11 days. He wrote to me this week. I wrote to him to, to, to find out how he was. And he replied, he said, during this time, I've reflected back on my life and my greatest desire would be kneeling before the judgment seat of Jesus and to be told, well done, you good and faithful servant. He hadn't always lived all in for Jesus and all out for him, but confronted with the crisis of COVID hanging between life and death, it's caused him to see and look at his own life and now as he's come through, he's going to live all for Jesus, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What about you? Who are you living for? How are you living? I need to finish. Here's the question. We know how. We know what. What Paul wrote, what Paul said, how he lived. The question is why. Why would Paul live all for Jesus and say that dying is gain? Well, it seems clear to me that he could live for Jesus and die for Jesus because he knew this, that Jesus had lived for him and died for him. Jesus had lived for you and died for you. Let's live for him.